Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Wendy Lynch, founder of analyticstranslator.com. Wendy is passionate about analytics and communication and made a career for herself, mixing the two together. In a world where we hear too often that analytics and business teams don't understand each other, Wendy's been working on bridging the gap. In this episode, she starts by talking about the stains caused by poor communication in our field, then moves on to providing a clear definition of the role of an analytics translator and how they help solve the problem. She also highlights the crucial skills required to be a good translator and, through an exercise, demonstrates how we can get answers to problems by simply finding the time to think about the question. Wendy is offering a 30% discount on her courses to the podcast listeners, So if you're interested, all you need to do is head to her website, www.analytics-translator.com and enter the code WOMEN30, so that's in all capital, W-O-M-E-N-30, valid until 15th of March, 2023. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to the Women in Data podcast. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm super excited about uh, the conversation we are going to have. We are going to talk about analytics translation, so the role of the analytics translator, and also fixing communications between data analytics slash data science team and, and the business. But before we do that, can I invite you to introduce yourself? Sure. I am Wendy Lynch. I'm an independent consultant. Um, my background is in research methods and applied statistics. I've been at this for a very long time because I'm I'm old now, but um, I've spent a few decades doing uh, analytics, but I'm also trained in effective communication. So I combine those two skills to try and facilitate effective analytic projects. And what I mean by that is get clear about what the business needs and then also translate uh, results back to the business. That's super interesting. So your, the training you had in effective communication, is that something that you brought on board later in your career or is it something that you were always interested in? Well, I actually had a mentor uh, that I met early on, probably in the early 90s. And she is a clinical psychologist, amazing communicator. And I just said, please, 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 can you mentor me <laughs> in, in how to do this? And I think that's what we all do is we find people we just adore and try and learn from them. So we uh, combined our efforts and actually produced a book that came out before the analytic translation book called Get to What Matters. And um, it's about how to communicate effectively. I love that. It's, and I can totally relate to this feeling of finding someone who is amazing and you're like, I want to be like you. Can you teach me? This is something that, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell me a bit more about the analytics translator. This is a topic we touched on the podcast before with Melissa Truffaut, where she was talking about 
what her job was really and giving some examples of how she was doing that. But you come from a different perspective and you come from really fixing communications and working around that. And I'm really keen to have your take on this role and how we can make it work. Yes. So analytic translators, uh, the way that I think about it is a role where you are in between the business function and the analytic function. So what I try and explain to people and remind people, especially in data analytics, is that 80 or 90% of people did not go to school to learn math or engineering or economics or statistics. <laughs> and when you start to talk about what you do, their eyes roll back in their head and they don't really want to pay attention to what you're doing. Uh, it's just the way it is. And so those of us who are nerdy, we uh, live and breathe the data and the methods and get excited about it. And we don't spend a whole lot of time learning how to communicate with other people. So there is a large gap. And the skills that I train in analytic translation have to do with not only understanding what each side needs, but understanding what questions to ask to really distill what it is that each side is trying to accomplish and also to build allegiances. We want these two teams to be allies, and very often they become adversaries because they don't understand what the other one is doing. Yeah, so what you, you just said, you use a very strong word, which is adversaries. And this is something that I've observed before. So for example, when you have especially organizations that are early on in their data journey and they're used to do things a certain way, then data comes in and data function comes in. And there are some, there can be some clashes sometimes between the two teams trying to get two things. And actually they are both trying to help the business be successful. So would that say that this is the first impact on the broken communications? Yes. What we want to do is help each side understand the value of the other. And a lot of times the business doesn't understand what the analyst is up against. So maybe some the, the process of cleaning data is taking way longer than somebody thought, but the business doesn't hear what's going on. So they think they're just being slow or the analyst produce something and the business need changed a week ago and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't need that anymore. So they spent all their time working on something <laughs> and feel like they weren't appreciated because there isn't enough, even just basic communication between the two to understand what they're up against. That's probably the basic part of analytic translation that I try and emphasize is part of it is just getting the teams to understand each other's value. Yeah. And how would you go about doing that? Well, there's a couple of different things that I encourage people to do. The first is that we need to spend time understanding what the other world looks like. So I don't mean that the CEO now has to go in and clean data to know what they're up against or that the uh, analysts have to understand all the politics that, that are going on <laughs> at the high levels in the C-suite. What I mean is that we want to start having them understand what's important by having conversations, 
even short conversations that help them understand what is critical to the person. Because if we ask the right questions, then we spend a lot of less time on rework or adjusting what answer that we're providing because it, we get it right the first time. Yeah, definitely. And I would like to step back a bit, uh, going back to these analytics translator role. So this is a role that has been around for I guess as long as data analytics has been around, really, but we're only talking about it recently. I I don't think I've heard about well that specific term before. I I guess the last five years. Yes. Yeah. And well, maybe it was there before, but I really hadn't heard it, and now I feel like it's almost everywhere. And I guess this came with the the field growing and growing and finding while getting across this problem with the business and the the data teams. But still, I mean, myself as an analyst um, and as an analytics manager, I've always had in my mind these two career paths. So it was either going technical or going into management slash leadership. And so how do you go about going into this third option, I guess, because it's not, I don't find it as being very natural to me. It feels like it's something that, well, maybe it is natural and it just happens, but I feel like you have to make a conscious choice of, okay, I'm not going technical, I'm not going management, because as you said, it sits between the two functions. So sometimes you don't even have a team to manage, you're an individual contributor. Yes. I do think it's a third option that most analytic people haven't considered, as you mentioned. And we think that we have to either become an expert and become an individual contributor who knows everything about, you know, boosted regression, or we go into management and manage other analysts. This third option means that you are interested in either being customer facing or interested in being that in-between person. Now, I do think that most of the qualified analytic translators probably have at least a basic understanding of analytics so that they can do that translation. But it's probably a person who enjoys having conversations. I mean, there's going to be some data scientists who never want to come out of the back room and never want to look away from the data sets. That's great. That's who you are. But there are some of us who really enjoy helping other people achieve uh, an aha about what data can actually tell them who want to help the business understand what's possible. And so if you're oriented that way, there are very specific skills in asking the right questions and listening in the right way so that you can take on that new role. Yeah, so I like the fact that you also mentioned helping the business understand what's possible. So that was going to be my next question if the data translator when in the organization was the one who was trying to help non-analytics people understand the value of data and what it is that they could do. And maybe also being the one pushing back on, on some pieces yes. of work. Yeah. That's, that's a really a good point is if you have developed a level of trust so that they understand that you you as an analytic translator are trying to make the business successful and make the analyst successful. Then when 
the business asks a question that's impossible to answer, then they know that that translator isn't just saying, oh, we can't do that because it's hard. They're saying we can't do that because we only started measuring it three months ago, or we don't have enough people, or sample sizes won't help you achieve that. So they know that we're trying to do it right, not that we're trying to get in the way. Yeah. Oh, because it doesn't add value. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> I feel like, um, so, you know, when I was reflecting earlier about maybe it happens naturally, it's because mm-hmm. while I never actually thought about it and it didn't cross my mind to be an analytics translator, mm-hmm. the more I'm chatting with you now, the more I'm realizing I feel like I've been doing that role in the last three years without really putting a word on it. Um, yes. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, I can tell you how it happened for me because I have been essentially doing this for probably 20 years. And my you probably have been in this situation before your mother says, well, what do you do for a living? My friends want to know. And you can't answer the question. And she's like, but what do I tell my friends? And I could never describe it because I worked in startups and big companies and academia and business and government and healthcare. And so it was different topics and different settings. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't explain it. And I was listening to a podcast and uh, it's Greta Roberts who does big data analytic topics. And the interviewer said, so Greta, given the growth in big data, don't you think we're going to have to have a lot more analysts? And she surprised me. She said, no, she said, I think we're going to do fine with the growth in the number of analysts. What I think we don't have is people who know how to explain the value of data to the business and ask the right questions. And I just went, oh my God, that's me. That's me. I'm a nerd to business translator. And from then on, I it, it's funny to be 30 years into your career and then figure out what you do for a living. But that's kind of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, sometimes you just need to have this haha moment, as you said earlier. It was, yeah. It was like a lightning bolt. Oh my God, I know what I do. I can tell people what I do. So, yeah. Love this. And <laughs> so we've been talking about this, this role of the analytics translator that's not, that doesn't really belong to either team, I guess. But something I was wondering is, doesn't it create more confusion sometimes to have someone in the middle to do the communication? Yeah. So I would say clearly if the other person, the new middle person doesn't know how to listen and doesn't know how to ask the right questions, yes, that will be more confusing. But if the person knows that that is their job, their job is to be listening to be connecting, to distill and clarify what needs to happen, then that is missing now. So it lessens confusion rather than adding confusion. That's a, that's a really great way to put it. And I was thinking, listening and asking the right question is, well, I'm good at listening, I think, but asking the right question is very difficult. Do you have any tips on how to do that? Because I've been looking at how to yes. ask questions. I've been looking at coaching and things like that. And yes. 
it doesn't feel like there is any practice <laughs> around. So how, how, do, how can you start asking the right questions? The first thing that I coach people to do is to ask open-ended questions that are, um, that are not directive. So um, let, do, do you mind if we do a demonstration? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I know from reading about your background and what you have told me that you're a lifelong learner. You love to learn new things. So I'm curious, how do you decide that a topic is worth your time to learn? Gosh. <laughs> okay. That's a very open question. Uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> I, oh, that's a really good question. I think. And this is going to sound weird. And someone told me that on the podcast about something else. I think it's what, so the person I'm referring to said it's what lit my life on fire or something like that. So it's what excites, what excites me really. And I feel maybe based on what I'm doing and things that I'm learning. So it's going to be related to that. I tend to try not to go to topics that I'm not already focused on, maybe put them in an idea box or something. Yes. But I don't have a method. Yes. Yeah. So the first thing is, is it needs to excite you and set you on fire. Yeah. So it needs to be really exciting. The second thing is, is it needs to kind of pertain to something that you are working on now so yeah. that it advances that. So, how else do you decide that it's worth your time? Um, I use recommendations from mm-hmm. people I know and admire. And that's definitely where what helps me make a final decision on what to do because there is too much material out there. Right. Yeah. Right. So you use other people's recommendations because you need to pare it down because you can't learn everything all at once. Yeah. And so finally, one, one other, just, um, is there anything else that comes to mind that you use to decide whether it's worth your time? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very difficult exercise. I guess the added value based on what I'm trying to achieve. Right. Right. So you want it to be something that will advance your interests and provide you with value going forward in your career. Yeah. So I think either provide me with value or help me provide value to to others, because at the moment I'm very keen on, for example, developing others. So that's, I guess that's where I draw the line. Got it. Okay. So what happened for you as I let you think about a topic that you hadn't ever thought about before? What happened for you? Well, first I got very confused because I hadn't thought about it. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah. And then the more we went into it, the more I could come up with things. Yeah. But I do feel like if we had kept going, I wouldn't have been able to come up with anything else. <laughs> Yes. Well, that's fine. That's fine. The reason for doing that exercise is 
that when we are in the business setting, we usually are going from meeting to meeting to meeting. We don't always have time to prepare. We don't know the answer to important questions until we have a chance to think about it. It's an important question to decide what you're going to spend your time on. It's an important question deciding whether it has value. It's an important question whether or not something matters to you enough to spend time on it. Yeah. It's not that you don't know the answer. It's that you haven't had time to think about it yet. So when somebody comes to you and says, oh, could you um, do a, an ROI analysis uh, on this new intervention that we did? Very, very often analysts go, sure. Do you want to do propensity matching? How do you want me to set that up? And the business person goes, whatever you think. Well, it's probably likely that they don't really know what they mean by ROI. Hmm. They don't really know what's important about that project or they know it. They haven't had a chance to think about it yet. They haven't really thought about how they're going to use the answer. They haven't really thought about how they'll apply that or the criteria that they'll use in order to decide whether it's useful or not. So when I coach analytic translators, the first thing is to be quiet, slow down and ask open-ended questions so that they get clear. And I'll tell you, 100% of the time, their answers get clearer when you allow them to talk. So we talked for maybe three minutes, you and I, on how you decide on what you're going to learn. You got a lot clearer about yeah. how you decide <laughs> about what you're going to learn. Not that you don't know. It's just that you hadn't had a chance to think about it yet. So I will always encourage analytic translators as they're learning to just stop and say, well, tell me more about that ROI project. Yeah. So you want to see whether it's worth it and say more about how it came up so that they understand the context and they know how to ask the question. And I would say more than a third of the time, the question completely changes from what their original question was because they get clearer and, oh, I don't really mean ROI. What I mean is, did things change? But they're using the term ROI as if they want to have it be a dollar per dollar invested. And, but that's what comes out of their mouth, but it doesn't mean that that's really what they want to know. So that's the first part is really listening and giving them even three or five minutes to explore what it is they're trying to accomplish. Because too often we go, sure. <laughs> and then we run in the back room, clean up the data, run an analysis, bring it back. And they say, well, wh what is that? And well, it's what you asked for. You wanted an ROI. Um, yeah. So and then you have to go back and do it all again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is not what we want. Mm -mm. Um, thank you so much for doing that. That was an interesting exercise. And I definitely see the value of that. Um, so there is a lot of, I guess it's something that comes with experience because you need to, in, it needs to get to a point where you don't have to think about it to be able to actually do it. Yes, exactly. 
And there are very specific types of questions that move your brain in different directions. So we learn about how to take a very detailed question and get to the motivation behind it. Mm -hmm. Or we get to uh, somebody giving a general motivation and we can um, take their brains a little bit further down into the details. There are very usable, learnable questions that help you do that. Is there a place where we can find some of these questions that I could link in the show notes maybe? Yep. Um, So the book, uh, Become an Analytic Translator, we put all of the questions in there that help you explore analytics specifically. And then uh, the book that I co-wrote with my mentor is called Get to What Matters. And that is more about uh, questions just in general in life, um, not specifically around analytics. Okay. I will link these two to the show notes. And so hopefully the the listeners can have access to them. Okay. That sounds good. To close the episodes, what are you learning at the moment or are you interested in learning about? Well, I'm a, I'm a total nerd, so I'm always <laughs> trying to learn more about communication and about questions, but I'm also, I get excited about uh, new analytic methods. So much of the actual day job that I have, we often, I'm often working in healthcare and in human resources areas. Mm-hmm. And there's this theory called quantum behavior change. Um, so the examples might be, you know, you think if it's linear, someone's getting ready to change and then they get closer to change. And there's this whole trans theoretical linear change model. Um, so like uh, but it doesn't work very well. So like quitting smoking, for example. Yeah. Um, you At some point, they just decide to quit. And sometimes it comes out of the blue. And there's this new analytic method called the cusp catastrophe regression that allows you to have both a linear component that you get closer and closer to a change and then a quantum leap component um, that's part of the model. So that's about as nerdy an answer as you probably will get, but that's that's what I've been excited about <laughs> this last week, learning about cusp catastrophe regression. So I love it. And I <laughs> I love to see how you're able to put two fields that that seem so completely opposite together and make them work so well and being able to explain them as well. I, I love that. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Wendy. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest. Until then, if you have two minutes, it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.